The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to our second Rugby World Cup warm-up recap podcast as Ireland walked home to a comfortable 29-10 win over a weary English side in Dublin on Saturday. Joining me this evening are two Irish and one English fan. Making his first appearance in the pod is contributor to the Gloucester Rugby fans Cherry Jam pod, Ed Price. Welcome to the pod, Ed. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. And, And joining him as well are two returnees to these shores, Making his third appearance, our Leinster representative, David Cordier. Welcome back, David. Thank you, Kim. And also returning for a second time is host of the Master of None podcast, the brilliant Stephen Murphy. Welcome back, Stephen. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Well, that's the first person to call you brilliant. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Uh, I like just making up for the fan view podcast <laughs> for those who remember. <laughs> so as part of these recap pods, I'll just start things off with a game in 60. Self-explanatory, trying to sum up the game in less than 60 seconds. So, another match, another win for Ireland, who are now 12 games unbeaten on the bounce, 16 straight on home soil, following that comfortable 29-10 win over a floundering England in the Viva Stadium on Saturday evening. Ireland made four wins in a row against their near rivals on a sunny and celebratory sunny Dublin day. Don't know why I have sunny in there twice, apologies. Tries from Bundiaki, Gary Ringrose, James Lowe and Mac Hansen set Ireland on their way to a landslide win, but one man held the moment. Keith Earls on the day of his 100th cap, raised the roof during his pre-game and in-game arrivals before capping the emotional afternoon with his 36th international try. The Moiros Express has long been a fan favourite, but that try sent the attendees, players, Keith and Andy Farrell into a frenzy. Farrell's current 38-man squad are currently in Biarritz preparing for a final warm-up clash with Samoa on Saturday night in neighbouring Bayonne. However, at the time recording, Dan Sheehan has emerged as a major Injury concern for the World Cup with a foot issue, with Jack Conan and Johnny Sexton also currently sidelined, and Ronan Keller a doubt as well. So that means Munster's Jimmer Barron has been called up to the squad. So, gentlemen, and I'll start with yourself, Ed. What was your thoughts on the game from Saturday, two days ago? Uh, as again, thank you very much for having me on the pod. Uh, not entirely sure how much I can swear, so I'm going to try and keep it to a minimum um, because it was that bad from an English point of view. I, overall, um, Ireland thoroughly deserved it. Looked on it from minute one, and um, it's very difficult from an English point of view to kind of summarise it because obviously we only focus on the English side of things. Um, but it was such a overwhelming performance by the Irish. 
um far far better than i thought in the six nations again i know it's different squads and they're not necessarily the squads you're going to go to the world cup with but um they look far superior on every level and just from my point of view it's the little details um you know the island island weren't at a hundred percent right you know there's a few things set piece still not quite right i think for ireland that'd be my major concern going into the world cup for ireland but um, yeah, line out was a bit iffy, for example. Scrum was a bit hit and miss, but that's often with the refereeing. But I thought, um, yeah, the, the, the little details for Ireland look really good, um, certainly compared to England. And and um I I I would hope that Ireland those injuries don't don't uh, cause too many issues because I think um from from an outsider's point of view, I actually think Ireland look better without Sexton. Um and I think that would be a uh I think that it, to have him not in the squad, only at least in the first couple of games, will probably be a, a benefit. Interesting toss from the outside, and obviously didn't get the memo about the Jack Crowley fan club committee, which I've been <laughs> accused of being in recent times. Um, so I'll pass it on to yourself, Stephen. Ed said it was dominant from minute one. Personally, I felt like it was Ireland at 70-80%. Where, where would you lie? Um. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it was an Ireland in full flow, but to answer you, it's again, it's a it's a warm game. It's an England team where you've no idea where they're at, you know, what the mindset, what the psyche's like. So it's tough. But look, at the main thing was trying to get in, get through with as little injuries as possible. We have the the question mark over Dan Sheehan. Hopefully, that's not a big thing. But everyone else seemed to come through a pretty uh, pretty clean bill of health, which was big because it was a strong team named out. So you had a lot of the big guns. Obviously, looking ahead to this weekend, Samoa, you're not going to see a lot of those guys, the, the guys you can't afford to lose. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe this is just coming from an Irish fan who's a lot of scar tissue, but I was really fearing a really sloppy performance. Like, if you went out there and lost to a sloppy England team, the media starts, that snowball starts to roll, and oh, another another disappointing quarterfinal loss or another disappointing World Cup. So it was great just to see a really... Clinical, professional performance, which we shouldn't be surprised now looking at Andy Farrell's Irish teams. But it was great to see that. They looked sharp in areas where it counted. Handling was was really, really good. Passes were really sharp when they needed to be. Um, and they went out and, and, and defeated an English team that they should have defeated. Um, and, you know, it was just... It, it, it's exactly what I kind of wanted from them. It wasn't... It wasn't like super, super impressive where you're like, oh my God, like this is, this is, you know, the fans get ahead of themselves. Because again, it's a warm up game, but it wasn't sloppy either. So I wasn't worried, you know, with, with, uh, with a sh- kind of shitty performance. So overall, I, I was very happy. It was, as you said, kind of in your, in your summary there, it was, it was, the day was about Peter Earls. Um, and it couldn't have been much better in, in terms of that. He came on, got a good chunk of time, scored a try. Uh, and everyone has said everyone mostly got through with a clean bill of health. So from an Irish point of view, it couldn't have went much better, really. Yeah, pretty much as we would have asked for, although would prefer if Dan Sheehan didn't um, get injured on the most gracious part of rugby, which is the font. But anyways, I passed over to yourself, David. Um, pretty pretty obvious what the two lads' sentiments are. Ireland cruising to victory against a poor England side. You were there, as was I. What did you make of it from the stands and upon watching back? Um, yeah, I thought it was a <clears throat> I thought it was a solid performance from Ireland. Um, I thought oftentimes the the warm up games in in before the World Cup can can get a lot of flack. I think partially because we're all a little bit afraid that what happened to Roman Etemak will happen to one of our players or not to Dan Sheehan. But I thought that game really showed the importance of these matches. Um, this was probably as close as you're going to get to Ireland starting 23, absent maybe one or two players and. As good as they were, there was definitely a lot of rust there. 
So I think having having a couple of games at the start before the World Cup really helps to shake that off. Um, it being rusty, it was still a very very solid performance. Um, there were no major mistakes in attack or defence. I thought we went through some very nice phases. I thought uh, Ross Burns' game management was was pretty solid in implementing the the attack plan that we seemed to be going after. Our defence was great too. Hard to gauge that because um, against the kind of the lack of structure that England seemed to bring on attack. But um, I thought it was a solid performance round. I don't think they had to get out of third gear. Um, I think, you know, we're going to have to see more from them uh, to progress to the World Cup. But as as a first performance, a first hit out, for a lot of those lads, I thought it was was pretty solid. Um, if we could get an update on Dan Sheen, I'd, I'd call it a really good day at the office. And then to cap it all off, the girls getting that try. 72nd mess. I mean, the stadium wasn't that loud at the start of the match. It was, it was something else. Um, I, I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought it was too perfect. But it was exactly what you wanted. And the finish was the exact amount of flair you want from a man in this 100th car. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, was, I was going to move into this anyway because we were going to run through the major moments, the major talking points of the game for a particular for the four-man panel we have. And I was going to t- start by talking about Keith Thurls anyway, so might as well get into it. And as you said, it did feel like it was going to be too perfect, that he was going to score in the corner. You know, I remember, I think the very first attack that Ireland had, which could have been Matt Hansen's try, I'm not 100% sure um, which which it was, but they, I think Anthony Watson was just looking at him and just looking at him and just waiting, because obviously they had been um, caught out on that on that right-hand side beforehand, and you He's just waiting. But then when Bundiaki throws that pass, it's like slow motion, isn't it? Because you just know what's going to happen. You just know Keith is going to get in the corner and this place is going to lift. And Jackie Hurley said on RT after the game, if there was a roof near Viva, it was gone. It was absolutely phenomenal. It's a place that gets slaughtered for the atmosphere at times. But when Keith Earls arrived out with his with his three young girls before the game, when he came on for James Lowe and when he scored, the place just lifted out. I wrote about it last week. He is he's a monster legend, but he's also an Irish legend. That's one hundred tests for Ireland. He scored thirty six tries, played over two hundred times for Munster. He scored I think sixty four tries, went on a Lions tour, scored three tries for them. Like he's ticked every single box and some players deserve the moment more than others. And I, I don't mean that about Ireland in particular, but just in general. And Keith Earls has won them. You know, you couldn't begrudge him of, of it and it was it was a great week for him and for those who've read his book and for those who've followed him, like my entire time watching rugby has been watching Keith Earls in a red and green shirt. And to think that he's not going to be there for much longer is is sad, but he has left one hell of an imprint on the game as a whole. And this night, I'm delighted he got that, that day out because we look at, say, Conor Murray, 100th cap. He goes off injured against South Africa. Um, thinking of... Peter O'Mahony, he's on 95 caps. Chances are that 100th is going to come away from home because even if it doesn't come in the World Cup, it could be in the Six Nations and Ireland start away from home there. Just, it's it's just, it was perfect. It was the perfect day for, for Keith Earls and he even went in looking for a breakdown turnover at one stage and, and nearly got his hands in it. But listen, if if, if all we take away from, from that game, aside from the injuries, is that Keith Earls 100 cap and the whole place just gave their thanks and just lifted, then it's a great takeaway. And I suppose I'll pass it over to you if you want to add anything in about 
about the the Moiras Express. Stephen, have you, Anton? Briefly, um, I think in, a, in my my greatest testament to Keith Earls is, is I think it, he's probably going to be known for maybe off the pitch more than uh, on the pitch. Like Keith Earls was probably I don't think at any stage, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You're a Munster fan, but. Has Keith Errors ever been like the best player on any team he's probably been on? Probably not. He's probably been like the top two or three, but he still has his lasting impact on Munster rugby and Irish rugby. Every coach has come in, always loves him. Like, that's not a coincidence. You know, he's just, he seems like a great man, even as well as being a great rugby player. Um, I think that stands for him even more the fact that even though, you know, he's obviously an incredible rugby player, but he, he seems to be just loved off the field as he is on the field. And that's, that's tough to do as well, and it's 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 funny you mentioned about like that personality on a on a daily basis or a weekly basis in camp, and obviously people go digging for different things at times like these. And Andrew Conway said he's one of the one of his best friends, one of the best players he's ever played with. And someone went looking at a an Access Monster clip, I think it was, and there is Keith Earls working with the young backs before Monster played Wasps last season. Obviously, Monster were battered by. Um, by COVID cancellations of matches and things like that, players stranded in South Africa, and Keith Earls is there working with Patrick Campbell, teaching him, you know if you step off your left, if you you run this line or whatever, and Munster scored a first phase try that Patrick Campbell was there for, and Keith Earls was celebrating right behind him. And funnily enough, when Keith Earls scored in the corner the last day, the first one up beside him was young Jack Crowley, a player same age myself who would have watched. Keith Earls coming through the ranks and you know I don't think Bundy was going to let go of him I think he was going to give him a, a hug for the final 10 minutes there when you when, then when we watched it back but that that's that lasting impact and David I suppose you you were there as well so if you do want to add Anthony as well Yeah no I thought it was a I thought it was a, a fitting occasion for the man and to see him there with his you know his wife and his, his three daughters I don't have kids myself but I have friends who do and to be performing at that level while raising three kids, all I can say is his wife is undoubtedly a saint. Um, but you know, just to show what it meant to them as well, you know, it's not just a go along because you have to go along thing, they seem genuinely uh, over the moon for him as well. And you know, anyone who's read his book knows the struggles he's had both mentally and physically. He's dealt with one of the strangest injuries I've ever um, heard of, and to come through all of that and to end up on 100 caps and 100, 100 is still not done it's always important to remember he keeps threatening to do another year so he's got more he's got more in him um, when you look at the names of the other eight Irish centurions those are you know eight of the best players ever played for the country and it's it's I think it's a he has a very deserved place on that list and uh, yeah I was just I was glad to be there for and I think I think we all were to be honest and we'll, we'll move on to the next big talking point which was somewhat ironically a red card for a shoulder tackle for an England player after the week that was of course would happen again and it would be a Saracens player yet again number eight Billy Vonipola dismissed following a review for a direct shoulder charge to the face of Andrew Porter and I suppose one thing that we'd like to point out and I did point out last week I, I really do think the bunker system works there is an awful lot of confusion amongst match goers when it happens they just see a yellow card and assume it's a yellow card but I I do think it works, and that that's great to see. But David, I suppose just first and foremost, looking at the tackle, it looked lazy, cynical. I don't think Billy can have any excuses, can he? No, he can't. And I think that's one of the more concerning things about it is the carelessness of it. It's you know, 
it's a high tackle. Like, you know, I saw some people make allusions to Andrew Porter dipped. I mean, in the in the same way that anybody dips very slightly when they're just about to go under contact. Billy was high the whole time. He was not dropping. Um, it's it's and I, th- I think the real thing that stands out is I saw someone posted a, a graph the other day of a list of um, I think it was eight or nine countries and the number of matches they've played this year and the number of cards they've sustained in those matches. I think England are on about eight games and they have I think it's about six cards. Um, Ireland are on seven games and they don't have any. Now, you know this isn't just the Ireland a great kind of thing, but if there's a there's a lesson in there in that this might be a genuine coaching issue. I mean, if, if players aren't getting low, there's a reason for it. And if the same teams, different players in the same teams are repeating the same offenses over and over again, there needs to be a conversation about exactly why that's happening. Um, I don't know if, if World Rugby are going to do anything about it except to continue to punish those players, but if it does keep happening, then they need to, to keep punishing it because um, especially with the the some of the stories that I'm out about, the long-term impact of, of head contact, it's its something we really need to to cut down on. And I, and I wanted to add to what you said. I thought the bunker was great. I had the benefit of having a ref mic on me, so I knew when Ben Whitehouse made the call, but I think it would be maybe not the worst thing in the world if they had it. I don't know, maybe if the stadium announced that seems a bit over the top, but certainly flashing it up on the screen so people are very clear about what's just happened. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. And even when they're looking at the replays, if they're saying this could go to review, because it did happen, when the yellow card was dished out, which is important to note. And Ed, you're a Gloucester fan. I, I'm, I won't, I will be honest. I'm not sure what their disciplinary record is when it comes to these things, but we did touch on a podcast last week about coaching and how if coaches are coming out constantly saying, Oh, well, there's mitigation here, there and everywhere. They're probably part of the problem. Ken, Kevin Sinfield was one of them. And just look a week later, Billy Bonapola sent off for the exact same tackle. So I suppose, like I asked David, can he have any excuses? But from an England fan's point of view, this must be incredibly frustrating. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's baffling. And actually, <clears throat> there's there's two aspects to this. First of all, obviously you've got the Owen Farrell issue, which we won't rake over old coals. But when you've had that issue the week before, and it's really heat, become a heated issue as well. Surely, from a coaching and training point of view, you're going to be extra careful, make sure all the players are really on it and dipping and making sure they're getting lower. The thing that annoys me about Vinopola is, as as David said, he was never dipping. There was no there was no attempt to uh, to to drop his height. And then the laziness aspect of it, his arms tucked. What's going to happen? So even if he even if he gets the body position right. The chances are, if a player does dip late, you are going to take the, the the head off with your shoulder because that's your that's the way you've your technique, so to speak. Um, the first, the biggest frustration is, um, there's well, again, it's a, it seems to be a Saracens issue as well. So Saracens have had several of these across the season. Uh, obviously, Gloucester, as a Gloucester fan. Uh, we had this exact issue with Owen Farrell at the beginning of January. He went to tackle school. Uh, obviously, that worked. Um, and the other aspect to it as well is, for, and I know this from speaking to mates who still play the game, um, the RFU are reducing the tackle height in the amateur game below step three. So what's that? I, 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 there isn't really an equivalent, I suppose, it's from the Irish game. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's happening to... here as well, but I'm not familiar okay. exactly. 
Yeah, so it's down below the sternum. So you've got massive issues across the game where people are getting frustrated with it. They're having to go through the whole coaching system and changing the coaching. And then you've got two of your supposedly best England players week two weeks in a row taking people's faces off. It's not a good look. And then coming out and defending it. That's the other aspect. I mean, I thought I I think the one thing I didn't really agree with was asking Andy Farrell about Owen Farrell in the week. I don't think that there was much benefit of that. What his dad's going to turn around and go, oh, he's a knobhead. He should have been sent off. He should be banned for eight weeks. It's not going to happen, is it? He's going to defend his son. Um, but it, I do think it is a coaching issue, to, to, to cut to the short of it. I do think there's a massive coaching issue. England talk about, you know, um, talk about their uh, the defence and their discipline. And it's not just the tackling, the high tackles. The discipline by England since Borthwick's come in has been atrocious. We, I mean, we gave a lot of penalties away under Eddie Jones, but we seem to be giving even more away now under Borthwick. Um, so it, it's just, it just seems to be a small part of a wider issue, which is uh, the, the 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 discipline is poor and it's top down. Um, and again, is it any surprise that Kevin Sinfield's a rugby league coach and you're you've got blokes targeting the ball? And when you target the ball, there's a risk you're going to take somebody's head off. Absolutely not. It's a very fair point. And we had, um, I believe it was on Amazon only that Courtney Laws was pinned about this by, I think it was a Sonia McLaughlin. That Sonia was... McLaughlin, yeah. Right at the end, really, really good question. So she mentioned the fact that um, Courtney Laws doesn't get red cards or yellow cards for high tackles. He is excellent at uh, yeah. getting low. And like, you guys have seen Courtney Laws hit make hits and they are ridiculous yeah. uh, I mean the one I remember was against the French bloke um, Plisson. yeah Plisson where he I mean he took his head off but that's the whiplash it wasn't it wasn't actually you know contact with the head um, and specifically around the fact that Courtney Laws has suffered from a number of concussions and uh, surely as someone who's suffered from that where you've got people coming high shots and stuff you would be really hot on that in training Um Again, media the media training these guys get, they're not going to give you anything in a in a in an interview like that. You might get them on a on a uh, a printed article, but not on a TV article when they a TV interview just after a, a bit of a disappointing loss away in Dublin. But it's a really good question from by Sonia Miller from there. Yeah, no, it was, and she she handled it well. To be fair, because we, we won't get anywhere unless we actually ask questions of of the players and of the coaches. And like I, I talked about it in the podcast during the week. The, between Ireland and the four provinces this season, dating back to last, I suppose we used the New Zealand tour, last June, there's been four red cards. That's that's nothing. Realistically, it's nothing. Like That's half of what England have managed in the Summer Nations series alone. And that's kind of the bar that everyone should hold themselves to. Not saying that just be like Ireland, but other teams have great disciplinary records as well when it comes to these things. And Stephen, I'm going to move on to you now for the last point. And, I promise this is not rigged, wink, wink, but I'm going to open up the floor to a Connacht man to talk about the magic of Mac Hansen, player of the match. Absolutely mesmerising. It was my first time watching him in person and boy, does he move and get around the place and time everything brilliantly. But obviously you know this better than anyone, but just on his performance at the weekend, like I don't like to go too far because Mac Hansen could miss the World Cup. We don't know. But it feels like this is one of the best wingers in world rugby right now. 
Yeah, I should have had my white scrum cap ready for the interview. Sorry. Um, <laughs> like the key shit or key shit is the yeah, free I'm, I'm not going to go that far. Um, no, Mac is he's just special in so many ways. He's, I think, the ultimate definition of a free spirit. I think is probably the best way to describe Mac Hansen. But and I mean this in the nicest possible way. I love Mac Hansen. I've been lucky enough to have him on the podcast. He's been really nice to me. He's incredibly physically unintimidating. Does that make sense? Like he doesn't, yeah. you'll never see Mac Hansen. On, if you didn't know who he was, you saw him at rugby field, you wouldn't be like, that guy's really, really good. Like he's not, he's not ripped. He's not super tall. He's not really bulky. And yet he's out here and he's winning, man, you know, man match performances. I think that's his third now for Ireland or fourth potentially. He's got third seven this, tries now. Third of this year, I believe. Yeah. yeah so for all, I think. Yeah. Seven, seven try and 15 starts now, I think for Ireland or something like that. So he's, he's on pace to, to smash a lot of records if he keeps going this route, but no, look, he what what he brings to an Irish team, the the most impressive thing I think he brings to an Irish team, and I've said this before, and I really really do believe this, and I include the likes of James Lowe, Bundyaki, Gibson Park, the kind of foreign born players, they've changed the entire mindset of the Irish team. Uh, Ireland have been notoriously have taken themselves very very seriously when it comes to rugby and World Cups and Six Nations. And, and you know they've they've always been good, but they've always had this like pressure on themselves. These lads, and I include Mac, Mac is one of the, the the kind of ringleaders of this. Is their their attitude towards rugby is spectacular. Where like they obviously take it very seriously. They they're professionals, but they bring a sense of fun to the camp. Like the key Daryl stuff in the hair. Like, can you imagine Johnny Sexton doing that? Or like, can you imagine any of the Irish lads who are like born in Brown Island doing that? No, they would. Mac does it. It 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 just it, it's fun and it, it, I think it's helped Ireland when it comes to dealing with pressure. It helps them when they go down to the likes of New Zealand and try and win a, a, a test uh, a test series. And I'm I'm hoping and I do believe it will it will help them when it comes to a World Cup. There's obviously the on the pitch stuff at Mac that's amazing. He comes in feel Farrell loves that. He loves that with Low as well. He comes into the middle. He's like an extra playmaker. The kick across uh, to, to get the ring rose in the in the first half. You know, Farrell trusts him. He has that kind of free will to do what he wants. And, you know, he's also got the solid, he's incredibly solid under the high ball at the weekend, which is, you know, he's been he's solid as a rock as well. But Connacht's played fullback for Connacht as well. I think he potentially could play fullback for Ireland as well at some stage. Um, he actually was asked about his favourite position. And he does say fullback is his favourite position. So who knows? It's an untapped resource. Um, he just makes the right decisions a lot of the times, which again, you wouldn't necessarily pin with his personality. Of being, you know, the wild kind of card you think always oh, like because Gibson Park is a bit like that, but Gibson Park can make the wrong decision at times. I I love Gibson Park and I think he's spectacular, but I feel like Mac doesn't have that clangor in him yet. Please, I hope I'm not jinxing him now saying that, but he's been spectacular coming in with Connacht as well. He's just taken to it so naturally, and you know, he like he played with uh, down in Australia and he, like he played to a certain you know degree of success, but he's just come into the Connacht and Irish setup and it's just blown up. And he's still 20, 24, 25. Like he's still, you know, and he acts like it too with, with, with a lot of the hair stuff. But that's understandable. Like he is only still a very young man. Uh, but he, he brings so much to Ireland. I just, I think the mindset and the psyche of, hey, we're, we're trying to win, but look, it's, it's not to be all and end all or like, you know, we'll, we'll give it a, we'll give it our best shot and we'll live the consequences. I feel like Ireland of past didn't have that. And the introductions of the likes of James Lowe, the likes of even Bundy and, and Mac has really, really evolved Ireland's mindset going forward. And I think it's only for the better. No, absolutely. You can't have enough Mac Hansons in the world. And I've made the point of, you know, rugby is always crying out for personality. We need personality, personality. 
It's like, well, you have one in Matt Canson. You know, there's other guys, you know, think of the the player who wore number 17 for England the other day that is quite divisive in what they say in terms of personality. And then you look at Matt and it's like, I'd say the only person he's ever pissed off is Oshin Dowling for that Buzz Lightyear tattoo. And it's like, you know, like that's... It was awful. It was awful. It, it was awful. The Andy Farrell one isn't much better now, to be fair. But No, it's not. But <laughs> just with that, what you're, what, you're, what you're saying is right. But, you know, the media won't take long. If there is this, a minor slip up from Mac, they'll come after him as well. Don't worry yeah, about that. that. That's the other side of it as well, especially not being Irish born, as we know, has been thrown around um, incessantly and not necessarily... Um, a lot, but he's he's a wonderful free spirit, great character, great guy, and again, sometimes you you don't really notice how good a player is until you see them in person. And Mac was one of those. Like I was looking forward to seeing Keenan versus Stewart, this so-called you know two of the best fullbacks in the world. I don't believe that anymore, not even close to it. But Mac Hansen was just unbelievable. He was everywhere. There was a couple. There was one high ball he caught over his head. You know, if he was from Mayo, we'd have said it's the Gaelic football background and all that. And I just thought he was he was unbelievable. And that freedom is one of the things that we really, really enjoyed. Um, there's, there's no skirting away from that. And like England don't have that, to be honest. You know, they they really don't. They've, I suppose, their game plan is is nothing more than a cure for insomnia. Um, if you want to, if you want to be really harsh, so. Ed, as, as an English fan who's had to suffer through the last three games, what's your thoughts on their, I suppose, their play with ball in hand or, or lack thereof? Uh, to me, it seems... Well, there, I mean, there isn't really... The, the game plan is clearly we want to get the territory by up and unders, get Stewart under the ball, get Watson under the ball, whoever under the ball, and get some turnovers and go from there and... It's it's baffling because there are some really good ball players in that England side, and if you give them the opportunity to to run with the ball and to try things, things happen. Um, you know, it, the, there are there 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 are some exciting players in that in that backline particularly. Um, but again, you know, that stuff like he brings Smith on at the end for the last ten minutes, and puts him at fullback, and within three minutes makes two line breaks. Which is the entirety of the line breaks of the, of the game for England, and there's a little bit of you in the back of your head as an English supporter thinking, "Well, that's him out of the World Cup. I mean, he's not going to play now because that's that's totally against what Portrait wants." Um, and that's the problem. You, it's so prescribed. You know, the ball's coming out the the back of a scrum or a rock, the bottom of a ruck, and it comes to eventually will come to George Ford after Ben Youngs takes five steps, um, and uh, it will come to George Ford and. It, he has got no option. He'll probably have one outside. He might have an inside ball. The guy outside will be a big forward. Probably Vunipoli will go backwards. Um, uh, or Tuolangi will get smothered because everyone knows what's coming. Uh, and then do that for two, three phases. Nothing happens. Kick. It's it's awful. It's just awful. And this is, to be fair, this isn't just Borthwick. It was like this under Jones at the end of Jenny Jones' uh, uh, tenure as well. And I think I'm not. No England fan was expecting us to suddenly turn into the Harlem Globetrotters and start throwing around the ball like a like a a, a, a Northern Hemisphere Fiji. That was never going to happen. Particularly when you look at Borthwick did at Leicester. It's a very similar game plan to how he played at Leicester. It's a very 
it's it's negative it is a negative game plan but it's i suppose it's an easy one to 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 adapt for players coming in from all different sides it's just crap i mean that's the thing as an england fan he's just like well i can't get excited about it um you know me and four of the lads on the pod we're going to Lille for two of the games chile and samoa and you're like well the more exciting game is going to be ramona romania tonga because yes. you know it's it's just going to be boring it'll be it, england will win those games realistically I mean, Samoa might give us a bit of a a bit of a stretch, but they haven't got the depth. So you'd expect England to win those games quite comfortably. They'll probably beat Japan quite comfortably. They might lose to Argentina, but we'll get through to the quarterfinals, playing really average rugby. And the daft thing is, you'll probably end up in the semi-final because it's Wales or Australia. Yeah. You know, and 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 it's I don't want to again open up uh, uh, sores here for you guys and the fact that you know the, the draw made five years ago whatever it was and we've ended up with a, a stupid stupidly heavily weighted draw but as an England fan it's, it is baffling that England could quite easily get to a semi-final of the World Cup without really having any sort of ability or skill in there um, the only thing that's positive from our point of view I think as English supporters is uh, the likelihood that Owen Farrell will now be banned means that we're going to have George Ford or Marcus Smith at 10 Um I think I'm hoping that the weekend we're going to see Alex Mitchell come on and have a game against Fiji, which means that hopefully that will give a bit more. We'll see a bit of an impetus there because he's a far better superior scrum after the other two. Um, how much I, despite how much I do like uh, Danny Care, so I there are some positives there, and I can think I can see if, if almost by luck rather than judgment, England could end up with a a a, a much better lineup and a more exciting lineup, but at the moment it's just dreadful. Um, and I really wish that we played even half as well as the Irish did on Saturday with the, uh, with the options you have on every phase, pretty much. One of the, one of the points that I heard made in a, in a podcast today here was the difference between the two teams was Ireland looked like they knew what they were going to do on phase three, four and five. England yeah. didn't look like they did at all. And that's, that's not what you want to hear. Not you know, three weeks out from the World Cup or whatever we are now. Like England have probably looked out doubly insofar as Japan have fallen off the face of the earth in the last four years. You know, so mm. now what was a three horse race feels like two, maybe two and a half, maybe the winners of Japan and Samoa. You know, one of them could, but like it looks unlikely now. And we we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later because I want to talk about next weekend's games anyway. And but well, I'll just come to you, David, for the next part and just want to look at what from a tactical point of view and a game plan point of view but also how the game unfolded just was there anything in Ireland's game that impressed you or maybe even worried you um on Saturday yeah so you know um in terms of game plan like I said there was a lot of rust but it, I think you just touched on it there we seemed to have a phase plan attack pretty well mapped out and you know it's I, I thought Andy Farrell made a point in one of his last press press conferences where they asked him have you held anything back for the World Cup and he said we have so much hold, held back it's fallen out of our sleeves like we you wouldn't believe how much stuff we have held back but I thought the the face play attack we put together in that match was excellent I thought Roth did a very good job of, of implementing it obviously credit to the to the attack staff for the attack coaches for, for um, coming up with it but I thought yeah, what really impressed me with our face play was, and it really came out because obviously I was at the match, but it really came out. I've watched the match back two or three times since, 
Ireland have this really good ability to alter the point of contact just before it happens. So Ross Byrne will take the ball as the first receiver and he'll pass to, you know, the, the head of the pot of forwards. Maybe it's uh, Kian Prendergast and Prendergast will offload it, tip on inside to Andrew Porter's run on his, on his inside. And then Porter will offload it back out to another back. And, you know, the, the point of where, which player you're going to actually have to tackle could change two or three times in the span of a second. And it, it makes it very difficult for oppositions to work out exactly where the attack is going to come from. And even if it doesn't create a line break, it just means that the players who do eventually carry the ball into contact are able to hit soft shoulders, they're able to get a couple of extra meters in contact. And it, it just, it, it, it keeps the defense guessing. It keeps them on their toes. I thought it was very well done when we we had two two tries, one from Hansen and one from Lowe out in the wings, where we just did this very good job of pulling the English defence inwards. Even at some point, Ross Byrne himself, I know you've been criticised at times for not being a line threat. I don't know if he was actually a line threat now, but he did a good job. And he, he did run at the defensive line once or twice just to create this idea of, of, of closeness. And then as soon as the play was on, Gibson Park would call it, Ross Byrne would call it, and, and you whipped the ball out wide and Hansen had to step inside Freddie Stewart, but James Lowe just walked over the, the try line. So I thought that, that the amount of planning that goes into this, um, it's not quite as prescriptive as Joe Schmidt. It almost seems like they plan out moves that will work in any situation, and then it's up to the players to go, okay, we're going to use this move in this situation, or we're going to use this move in that situation. And they can. I think the reason why it looks like Ireland have their face play planned out three or four moves in advance is because they have this set of moves that they can apply to any given situation. And I thought the attack, while we didn't see anything like, say, Hugo Keenan's try against France, we just saw a very good, consistent face play attack. And I also thought in defence, um, the defence is stout. You know, we had the, the one try that, that came off of, um, I think it was a pass, a loose pass from Conor that that was knocked on by Crowley, not really Crowley's fault, it was on his fingertips. And England got over for a try um, off the next next run of play. But other than that, we kept them out. The you know, defensive life speed was fast. Ringrose was putting in hits like he didn't like the other guys, um, which is impossible because Gary Ringrose is a very nice guy. But I just thought all of the pieces are there. There was a lot of rust on the play, but thought if we could, you know, I think two or three games from now, even if we just implement that game plan again, we'd, we'd, we'd hit fourth or fifth gear. Um, um, Stephen, do you want do you want to add Anton maybe on the impressive point point or maybe even something that may have worried you? I know a lot of people are on about the line out, but if there's anything else you want to throw in there first. On the worrying side of things, and again, I, I'm I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert, but I, I've heard enough people talk about now about the scrum. Um, I agree with Ed. I think it's sometimes it's just an absolute lottery depending on how it's called, but. I've heard for a while now that Ireland scrum is kind of, it's definitely a weak point when it comes to going to the latter stages of a World Cup. We've, we haven't really seen it being dominated. Like we've played South Africa, we've played New Zealand, we've played France and, and no one has dominated the Irish scrum. But it's when you're looking for probably weak points in Ireland's play or at least in Ireland's set piece, it looks like scrum, especially when playing South Africa in a, in a group game and uh, potentially playing France with their pack, it, it possibly could be an issue. Porter, I know, um, people kind of highlight him as sometimes he can be. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the best way of saying it maybe, but he treads the line of of legality and I- I- illegal stuff. But 
again, I'm not, I don't know enough about the scrums to really say like, oh, here's what he's doing wrong, or here's what another team might choose to target. Um, it's it, we haven't seen it really be a worry yet, but again, enough people are talking about where maybe there's something there to to be seen. Um, in terms of obviously from an English side point of view, the worry has been the attack that we have. We've already gone into 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 depths with, but I just want to say like you know I feel bad. I feel like we're kind of ganging up on Ed here, being so disrespectful towards England. But like you have to put your put your like try and place yourself into the English players. It must suck right now to be in that camp with like they don't want to play that style of rugby. Like they have, you said the back the back players. Like I wouldn't, I I just I would be conscious of writing off any of the English players over the next year or two if Bortwick is still there. I, I you know it's it, it's a shitty situation. You're being told how to play. It's if they're trying. I think Bortwick's going for like we're going to be tough to beat rather than trying to win, uh, which is sort of I think what Gatlin's going to do at Wales. But just being conscious of it, it must be pretty pretty. Uh, a pretty shitty situation to be in when it comes to English players. Uh, what impressed me with Ireland's tactics, I thought, to pick up on what David said, defensively we were really good at, I think, picking when when to go for jackals, um, especially big momentum jackals. Like There was a few times where England would make a bit of a break and within two or three phases, Ireland would win that turnover penalty. And that is just so huge when it comes to momentum for the game and, and just kind of those little wins that are huge when it comes to uh, especially massive games and later in the World Cup, having that ability to do that, I think it, it does. It happens too often to be a coincidence. I, I think um, so. That's what that's what really impressed me. I think with the with the, the Irish. Yeah, hey, do you want to jump in then? Finally, yeah, just just one other little bit. And by the way, don't worry about ganging up on me. I mean, absolutely, you're entitled to after the weekend um, and after the last I don't know two three years. Um, I, the only thing I'd say, actually, uh, in terms of the the squad selection, because there's been there's been a bit of talk in the English sort of Twitter rugby Twitter bit of things, which is about uh, you know 2007, uh, um, you know the the players kind of did a little bit of mini revolt and they 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 turned it around. I think Austin Healy was mentioning it about about the fact that. Um, uh, it was really poor in the build-up to the to the World Cup, etc., and and they got to the final and stuff. The slight difference this time, I think, is the I don't see the players having the strength of character in the same way that they did in 2007. 2007, you had likes of I mean, yeah, half the team had won the World Cup, so they knew from their point of view they had a a, 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 a strength behind them. They could turn around and go, well, actually, this isn't working. We're going to do it this way. I don't really see that in this squad. Um, and it almost feels like you'd expect when, when like Wales, for example, right? They have, they only announced the squad this today as we're recording. So you kind of all be go, Oh, we're going to be, we're going to do what Gatlin says and we're gonna, just so we can get in the squad. And then we can try to chance our arm a little bit in games and see where we can get to. Cause we might then find something magical. Whereas with the England team, they were picked like four weeks ago. So what have they got to lose? If if it's really not working now, you can, you can kind of say it because it, you're not going to get dropped. You're not going to get chucked out of the squad, um, and that's what's frustrating. I, I think I take your point, Stephen, about the you know don't write off the English players. Um, I just think it's just that they're not going to get the. They don't seem to like they 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 want to even try and revolt or or go against what Borthwick's telling them to. So. I, I'm I'm kind of a bit resigned to it's going to be a bit crap for another year, and then um, we might get uh, somebody a bit more exciting. Well, we'll we'll wait and see, I suppose. And I suppose I just, I just want to push on, um, lads, and kind of make a run through 
you know, what I called in, in the last, in the Italy game, kind of the bolters, the sitters, or, sorry, I'm not on that. I'm on the wrong question. Apologies, guys. And I should want to put up to the, the two Matte 23s, actually, first of all. And against my my goodwill, I'm going to start with Seaver. I'm going to give you the forwards, knowing that David could launch an attack on, on some of the backs um, waiting in the wings. But, Seaver, would you mind taking through the Irish forwards, how you felt they fared individually, both kind of starters and replacements? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, look at the, the front row, Porter, Sheehan, Forlong. Uh, you know what you're getting. Uh, that'll be the starting front row if everyone's healthy going to a World Cup. Porter is a phenomenal, phenomenal player, incredible ball carrier, but also has the passing abilities. Um, Sheehan is probably the most dynamic athlete in the Irish team, especially for a hooker. Um, we we do need him probably to be to be healthy for a World Cup for us to go far. Uh, and obviously Tag Farlong is Tag Farlong. I think he just needs to get a, as as many minutes under the belt as possible. I think will 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 be good for Tag. Um, the locks Tag Burn, James Ryan. I would argue Tag Burn is possibly Ireland's most talented player when you look at as an overhaul. I think he's just absolutely outstanding, and I'm glad to see him playing in the lock position because I think that's where he's best. Um, and James Ryan has James Ryan kind of has won me over over the years. I always knew he was incredibly talented, but what I loved about James Ryan is he sets the bar, I think, physically for Ireland a lot of times. I always remember a couple of years ago, um, England came to Ireland in Six Nations, and I think they bet us, but they absolutely bullied us physically. And the only player that stood up that day was James Ryan and actually wanted to like, have a bit of a fight and have a bit of a scrap and stood up to them. And that really, really impressed me that day because a lot of the other lads kind of didn't didn't want to do that. Um, and I think he's an absolute. He seems to be a, a real leader in, in the dressing room, um, and you know, he, as I said, sets the tone physically. Uh, back row, Peter Mahoney. I think he's my favorite player of all time. I, I absolutely love him, and that hurts because I really don't like Munster. No offense, uh, Kalon. No, um, taking. no taking. Uh, he just, I just love the fact that he's kind of adapted his game as the years have gone on. He's obviously an elite lineout operator. Uh, but then you see him for like Bundy's try. He's in the open field, picks the right passes. He always finds himself out in the wing. That can't be a coincidence. Um, and he always, as I said, makes the right decision. And just again, an absolute leader. Uh, you could put him in any sport, and Peter Manny would be a leader or a captain. I think he's just that kind of personality. Um, and then in his spare time, like plants petunias. It's it's hilarious. I I love that side of him too for some reason. Um. Uh, but uh, Van der Flair, look, Van der Flair is world class. I think people sometimes, uh, I felt the last couple of months he hasn't been in his best form, but uh, look, he's Van der Flair. He's, what was he, world player of the year? Last year, yeah. You know what you're going to get with him. He's elite. He's, uh, you know, ball carrying has been just incredible and always jackal threat as well. Uh, Keen Prendergast, obviously delighted to see him play well from a McConnell point of view. I, I didn't think, I thought, to be honest with you, if, if we had a, Asked me a couple of weeks ago, I thought he would have been included in that first batch of players to be let go just because of his experience. Uh, but he's incredibly versatile and he's done incredibly well in terms of last year with Connacht and even a few Irish appearances. He, I feel like he's almost tried to do too much when it comes to jackaling and, and getting involved in rucks, just trying to impress too much. He's totally toned that back a little bit. Um, he's a very good ball carrier. Uh, carry this is a carry that makes his tackles uh, and kept himself out of trouble as well with the referee, which I think sometimes can be. Um, an issue with him but I think and I hope I'm right in this I think he may have booked a seat in the plane with that performance at the weekend uh, we'll we'll only see but on the bench uh, Rob Herring come on look at Herring's an incredibly solid player the ceiling isn't outrageously high but the floor is also not outrageously low uh, nothing amazing nothing poor but he's he's never going to really get you into any trouble uh, but I think 
I just prefer obviously Sheehan's dynamic dyna- dynamism. Uh, Lockman, I didn't really have a ton to think about. Lockman just come on, you know, he's, he's it's very tough for a, a prop to come on really and like stand out and make an impact. Uh, but I think he, I think he's very good. Uh, Finley Bealham also came on. Look, Finley's already answered the questions. I think earlier on the Six Nations, anyone who had questions about Finley doesn't have uh, those questions anymore. Um, he's more than fitting to be a, a sub for for um Furlong if that's the case. But if you're, I think now we're we're in a beautiful position where Finley can, if if sorry if Ty can't go in one of the big games and Finley starts, we're not that disappointed with that, which is a huge compliment. Uh, Joe McCarthy is like the modern day lock in nowadays where he's just can do everything and I didn't want to like Joe McCarthy because uh, you know the narrative of again was like this lad come in from Leinster and he's only young and he hasn't played a ton and but then you see him play and you're like oh, god damn it they've done it again it's like super powerful just an amazing athlete uh, and then I thought Caelan Doris was really poor and I wouldn't bring him to the World Cup <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, there's there's not much to say about Kellen Doris, really, yeah. is there? <laughs> no, it's it's disgraceful he wasn't on long enough to make a, a claim for man the match. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, really all you was. can say at this stage. I'm sure they had a thought about it though. Do you know what I mean? They had a little uh, think about it. Yeah, but, yeah. probably. And Stephen Ferris reckons, you know, if it was up to him, he'd just give him man the match Keith Earls and then apologize to Matt Hansen or whoever. You know, he got Matt would have been Matt would have been okay with that, I think. Yeah, no, he'd just take a picture with the side of his head and it'll be fine. We, we'll get on to England in a minute and myself and Ed will run through them but David just quickly the Irish back line certainly felt like it was humming four tries or all five tries coming from the backs Um, even if it wasn't a, a perfect performance but I suppose just going through it from, from 9 to 15 and, and 21 to 23 Um, all positive all around do you feel? Yeah yeah I thought, I thought broadly speaking it was pretty positive Um, started to start and going from there <clears throat> Gibson Park obviously back in the saddle. It's good to see. Um, he was his usual self, assured. Uh, quick delivery. Um, fast off the base of the rook. There were a couple of times where it was uh, a close one. England did attempt a couple of counter rooks, but he was usually quick enough to get it out of there on time. Um, had a had a couple of wayward passes. I think one or two wayward passes, but um, uh, I think I think we put that down to rust. Um, he was probably keeping very 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 solid. Uh, slotted back into the backfield. Uh, quite frequently, and he kicked pretty well too. Um, Ross, I thought, managed the game very well. I think that's his strength. He's he's not a he's not a massive um, line threat. He's not he's not a, a running back. He's you know no Bowden Barrett, but I thought he managed the game incredibly well. I thought he, he set up uh, the the attack structure quite well. As with Gibson Park, threw one or two loose passes, but I thought looking back on the game, I could actually see the players they were supposed to pass them to. And it was just a case of of miscommunication or, or possibly poor positioning. So I think I think that's just a bit of rust that will get worked out. And um, I think the biggest the biggest negative Ross is going to take away from that day is the kicking off the tee. Uh, one from four shots is just not up to his usual standard. Uh, it's something he, he usually prides himself on. And I, I think he's I don't know. To be fair, those those three shots were were touchline conversions, plus touchline conversions are usually where he eats. So I think that'll definitely be something he looks looks to as a work on. Uh, the centers I thought were were superb. I mean, Ringrose was his usual good self. Like I said, putting in some very strong shots. Um, I think there were a couple of a couple of instances where England players definitely came off uh, quite roughly. Oh, actually, to go back, Rothburn sat down earlier daily once, which was funny to watch because I'm not used to playing Rothburn's attacker, but uh, that looked like it hurt. But yeah, Ringrose was good. Uh, good and loose, good in defence. Uh, a couple of his customary missed tackles, but he, I thought he was, I thought he was very solid. Aki, I thought, had a very, very good performance. I thought he showed 
I think because he's such a big, strong man, he, he got this possibly a little bit like Steve McCluskey, got this reputation as just being a very strong ball carrying 12. But he is one of our better distributors in the back line. I think the pass he sent over the top to Keith Earls for his try was an absolute peach. Uh, he did something similar to uh, Shigo Keenan away in the corner at one point as well. He's just a phenomenal distributor of the ball. Um, as much as anything else, so I thought he had a. He had a it wouldn't be like the um certain members of the Irish media to to not know that players have multiple facets to their game, or certain players yeah. anyway. You know, particularly Connacht players, or, or <laughs> Munster, or yeah. Munster second rows as well. Yeah, because anyway. yeah, because yeah, because Munster don't get enough media attention. Uh, no, no, so I thought none. I thought I thought Aki had a very very good game, and um, as as weird as it might be to say, because well, I suppose he's a line of well, but it's because Robbie Henshaw is such a, a well loved player, I think. Aki is definitely our starting 12 at this point in time. Um, so I thought I thought he had a fantastic thing. And then to go from that and then to say it gets better the further back you go, I thought our back three were excellent. Um, starting from the bottom, even though it's very good performance, James Lowe was just, he was imperious in the air. His boot was spectacular. You could see it every so often. I think the 50-22 is his favourite rule because he never isn't going for one. He fired off a couple of lovely little spiral shots. He didn't, None of them came off, although there was one that dropped, I think, between uh, the English fullback and some of Yeah, just neither of them could decide which of them was going to get it and ended up bouncing as a touch. So I thought he had an excellent game. And uh, one thing that sets him apart, because I know there was a bit of a, a toss-up between him and Stockdale, was he's, and I think that maybe this is um, this comes from his Southern Hemisphere upbringing, always looking for an offload. If he, if he can get an arm free, he's going to get the ball away, even if just to, to say he did the trouble setting up a rook. So I thought he had a he had an excellent game. Keenan was exactly what he always did, safe as houses, under the high ball. Somehow managed to always make meters after contact, despite not looking like a rugby player. Um, he just has this very good running style, and uh, I thought he was superb. And then Hansen was just everywhere, running, kicking, playmaking, uh, catching. He was unbelievable. Um, I think when it comes around to player of the year, he's going to be in contention because. I think he's got five player of the match awards out of fifteen matches played. It it is just an unbelievable return. So I thought he, I think he was really phenomenal. And just to very quickly roll off the bench, um, Murray I thought was fine. I thought you know in the positive column he comes on and you're reminded this guy's six foot two. You put him into tackles, he can really make, push out on people. Um, I don't think he got long off the field to really make a massive impact, but he didn't make any massive errors uh, except a bit of a loose pass to Curly. But I think. I think that was just because he really wanted to pass to Keith Earls. Um, Jack Curley, similarly, I think he, he came on earlier, but he really only got 10 minutes at 10 because he initially, I think, was playing at 12, but Ross Byrne at 10. Um, I, I thought he slotted his conversion very well. Once again, it was a touchline conversion. And I think that the best thing you can say about Jack Curley is he is not phased by test level at all. Uh, he looks at home there all the time. And then to finish with the best, uh, Keith Earls. You know, just to come off the bench to finish with that try with his hundred cap was something else. And I thought even even as an improvement on two weeks ago, you know, Italy he looked a bit rusty. This week he just looked all professional. And you know, I think it would be easy to be overcome by the, the momentous occasion. He just looked like he was enjoying himself out there before the match, during the match and afterwards. So uh, yeah, I thought across the the board in the back line, it was a good day for Ireland. Yeah. And suppose we're, we're kind of moving on from one of the standouts to a bit of a lower point. But because we have you on, Ed, we're going to just run through the, the English side, myself and yourself. And I'm going to get you to go through the forwards in particular. Yeah, like sure. it, it, 
it really wasn't a day for for anyone really of that of that eight that kind of stood up and said, you know what, no. I'm I'm here. You know, it was it was kind of same old story as the Welsh games. Did you feel? Yeah, I mean the the problem with uh, so Genge, George, and Stewart they're not the most uh, powerful scrummages. I mean Genge gets a lot of uh, applauds for his uh, play in the in the and the in the open field. But I do think he has a bit of a weakness in the scrum, uh, and uh, Will Stewart um, basically got it, he got his ass handed to him to a point. Um, he he was getting pinged left, right, and centre for about five six weeks at the back end of last season in the Premiership. It's looked like he'd worked out how to scrummage again. Um, that's obviously been uh, coached out of him again. Um, Jamie George is an interesting one because I think from a from a set piece point of view, line out point of view, um, he he is. A, uh, very very consistent and our line out generally has looked has been one of the 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 positives throughout uh borthwick's uh reign um i think atoji and uh and ribbons and laws did well to disrupt the irish line out i think there was a quite a few what well, seemed to be a few um uh overthrows and uh a, a bit hit and miss uh for the irish line out um and then you know, it's difficult, really, because it was such a poor display by by England. Ben Earl is pretty much the only positive from the autumn series or the summer series, however you want to call it, uh, from an English point of view. Um, and I'm not talking about his really lovely celebrations for knock-ons and not straight throws. Um, this is uh, just he he has been the one player who's looked like he's going to get a bit of go forward. Um, and then we come on to we've already mentioned him, Bibi Vonapola, um, who was poor anyway, um, and then to top it off with his his stupid tackle. The the biggest problem with Vonapola is that if you talk about Vonapola four or five years ago, one of the best back row players in the world, he isn't the same player anymore. He's made of glass. He gets injured quite a lot, and he's our only specialist number eight in the squad. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, it seemed a daft decision at the beginning. It seems even stupider now because he's going to probably miss the first three, maybe four games of the tournament. So yeah, uh, yeah. Overall crap is my my summary of the English pack. I I I'm before I'll I'll take the battle and before we move on to I just want to ask really quickly what I asked Tom in the preview. What would be your starting English back role as it stands? I know Vonapola. There is obviously the question mark about the the hearing, but which way would you go with the back row in particular? Because it's quite I, contentious. Yeah, I, I I would have Willis starting. Um, I, I'd have Willis. I mean, you, you're going to have to have Earl because he's. We 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 assume Vunipola is going to be out, so let's let's just put him to the side. So you're going to have to start with Earl at eight, um, because he's the only one who's really kind of played there. Maybe Willis could possibly play at eight. I probably prefer Earl, um, and then. I don't, the daft thing is, I, a number of coaches think that Laws is Courtney Laws is a back row. I think he's a second row, so I'm obviously wrong. But they're going to probably play Laws in the back row. Um, I do actually like Chesham. Uh, I think he's a really good young talent, um, and um, it's remarkable really that he's even in the squad and or he's going to be playing potentially. So I I, I don't know, but I, I'm going to say it's probably going to be it's going to be Willis Earl and Laws uh, combination of those three. And to be honest, against Argentina and Japan and Samoa and Chile, it won't really matter. That's the, mm-hmm. you know, it, that's that's the deal and end all of it. I I, I would My agree. Interject with you. for a second. Yeah, no, go on. 
I just want to talk about it before we get, the celebrating and the, the flack that England are getting about the whole. I don't mind it. Is am I, I the only one who doesn't mind I, it? I don't really mind yeah, it either. It's just it's it's just it's just that obviously it's a nice stick to beat England with because yeah. we're we're playing poorly. When you're winning, no one really cares. Uh, it's just slightly irritating, and every side does it. I mean, Ireland do it, yeah. France do it, everyone does it. It's just when you're losing twenty or thirty or ten, um, and you're celebrating a not straight line out, you just look like a bit of a dickhead. Yeah, I agree with that part too. But you're, I think, I don't think they're doing it necessary to get other people's skin. I think they're trying to create a bit of a bloody atmosphere yeah. or a bit of a. I think they're trying to get themselves going a little bit, which I think I, I just don't see the problem with that. I agree with you. I don't think it's it's because it's England sometimes and possibly a lot of the, the Saracens issue. You know, it's it's I think it comes a lot from that too. Yeah. So I was saying that before we started recording that um uh that the the rumor is or the the theory is that the Saracens players started doing this a couple of years ago because the atmosphere at the AE um, Alliance or whatever the other is called now uh, is so poor that they needed to actually generate something within their own um, with their own squad um, and the Wolfpack mentality and all that nonsense. It's just you know as I said, it's slightly frustrating. I actually think it's probably something that the World Rugby could actually clamp down on a bit more. It's within the laws. You could, you don't have, you know, you, the referees could quite easily say, actually, we're going to start reversing this and giving free kicks because you're over celebrating. It's it's within the laws, and 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 we've seen the NFL. NFL did it. They they put in a new rule basically saying that if you start taunting, it's a it's a flag, 10, 10, 10 meter pen, ten yard penalty. You know, all the rest of it. And then it's it's kind of, it is a contentious one in that regard because some people like it, some people really don't personally. I think it, it's about picking your moments though as well. Like when it's a crooked line out, I, I'm sorry, Ben Earl, but that was not because you were standing at the tail. Like it, it really wasn't. It's because it was a crooked line. Out. I think it was Rob Herring that threw that one. You know, pick your moments, pick your fights. Like I always look at, say, someone like Peter O'Mahony, who will celebrate his fair amount of penalties. I'm not going to debate that. But the vast majority of them are a 70th minute turnover. Or a seventy-second minute line-out seal when it when it makes a difference, and as you said, not when you're twenty points behind against a team who've had your number the last two years. Um, I I'll just run through the backline really really quickly. Personally, I I think George Ford was possibly even his best player, but it's more testament to how they play more than Anton. He covered the ground well. Watching him, I try to keep my eye on him as best as I could. He covered the ground well. It's up. Ben Youngs again looked just looked very prescribed. Pretty much, you know, it's that's kind of been the issue with England nines. Like Danny Care, yeah, he added a bit of a bit of stress there in defence, but that was one carry. You know, it's not we ha- we haven't seen enough to say he can do that consistently. Tulangi and Marchant, you touched on earlier, they weren't noticeable. They were, they really weren't. They were if you wanted to be a, a real ass, you could say they're the fourth and fifth best players to play in the century yesterday. Never mind third and fourth, you know, like they had no impact on the game, but it, for me, it's it's the back three that I'd be I'd be looking at. Like Elliot Daly is a good player, didn't really do a lot. Anthony Watson definitely the best of them. I think Anthony Watson, you could make a case should be England's fullback just because of how he attacks the line and how he takes the game to teams, as opposed to Freddie Stewart, who the more I watch him, the more I think he's not the hot prospect that BT and others made him out to be. He's slow to turn. He's not the greatest defender in the world. When you kick high balls to him, because he's a huge size, he's a very good person to retain ball. 
that's really it. You know, like he's clumsy. He is slow to move. Like twice stepped inside for for tries. I know he sprinted across and won them. You could definitely look at Elliot Daly for for being a bit of a passenger for Mac Hansen's um for Mac Hansen's try. That's not what England need, especially when you're going to be playing this kind of off ball brandy. You're going to be defending a lot. Once teams figure out that he's slow, or they figure out that Elliot Daly is consistently biting in, or that even you know someone like Will Stewart is getting isolated midfield. Just ever so ever suddenly, it becomes very easy to exploit these different targets, and teams are starting to do that. Ireland have targeted, you know, they Ireland really went after um Elliot Daly's wing, surprisingly, and England kicked an awful lot down Elliot Daly's wing, but Ireland really went after him as well in, in the return of it. I suppose it it's a sign of of their malaise. Marcus Smith got ten minutes of full back, as he said, and to be honest, I didn't even know because Marcus Smith was that full back until. He was there, the only one, like twenty years behind the play, and was like, "Oh, that is Marcus Smith." You know, it's just, it's just kind of the way it was. But we are, we are tight on time, so I, I like to kind of look at who's kind of bolting into the squad and who's a bit of a sitting duck in squads. I know it's different for England, Ed. So maybe just players who are coming into form or out of form more than because their squad is named, whereas Ireland's isn't. Um, but I'll just start with you, Stephen. Have you any player who? Impressed and nailed on. I know you mentioned Keen Prendergast earlier. Is there anyone else or someone who maybe failed to grab the eye with um this day a week Ireland squad being announced? Yeah, it's tough just because of how comfortable Ireland looked to really pick someone who didn't uh really stand out. Yeah, I think I think in in the other the other side of it, someone who stood up, I think Prendergast was that player, but I think Prendergast was also the only player starting that had to uh put his hand up. The rest were pretty much nailed on. I think the only one that I would be worried for is Ross Byrne a little bit, just because of, I think, David, you you kind of nailed it correctly. I thought he played pretty well, but what you're bringing Ross Byrne for is his kicking off the tee. That's what, I think that's what he's there for more so than anything else. And it wasn't great. And it wasn't, it wasn't even narrow misses. A lot of the strikes, the strikes were poor. Um, and I think with Crowley and how just amazingly talented he is, I think it's tough. Uh, Ross Byrne, is, I think, will be third choice if if he goes. I don't know. I, I keep hearing about this. Do you need to bring three tens argument? And the more I'm thinking about, it, the more I'm like, oh, this is that's interesting. Uh, and Ross Byrne, I feel like if that is the case, will will be the one who gets the chop. But uh, it's very tough for, from that kind of team that started out. But I think Prendergast was the one. I think again, he's the only one who really could. But he definitely did himself no harm with his performance uh, um, on Saturday. It it was it was a a day of very few standouts, but in terms of the wider England squad who's playing themselves onto the starting fifteen to play, um, it's Argentina in the opener if I'm if I'm right. Yeah, it's Argentina and, in the opener. Yeah, um, I mean, I think Anthony Watson, I think and 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 uh, Ben Earl almost certainly now will will be starting. Um, I think probably Carl Sinclair benefited from the fact that he didn't play a lot. On uh, on on uh, on Saturday, so uh, again his stock has risen because he didn't get he didn't get uh, thumped and st- and stuffed in the scrum. Um, other than that, really not a huge amount you can go with. Again, it is slightly different because that's the squad. Um, and I think to be fair, Borthwick knows his his side already. I think the only hope for as I say from an England point of view is that. Um, just to do something slightly different is for Alex Mitchell to have 
um, a game on Saturday against Fiji or next weekend against Fiji. Um, and he has a good performance because you feel that he's the one sort of bright light that's come out of this. And ironically, it's because of an injury. So I think, I think he's probably the only one I can see that if he has a good game, um, get him in the side, that might change a little bit of the dynamics for the England backline, certainly. Yeah. And listen, I couldn't argue with any of them personally being there. Tom Watson was, was very sharp. He all, he always is. It's it's just hard to believe he doesn't have a club as things stand. That's, that was the bit that struck me um, realizing halfway through. And, I suppose to go back to Ireland, I was going to mention Prendergast as kind of Ireland's main standout because, you know, Mac Hansen's going to start anyway. That that back three is nailed on and all that. And you could make a case for Bondiaki because the 12 shirt is still up for grabs. And there's even some people saying bring McCluskey over Aki because McCluskey had a fine Six Nations. But I think Bundy might have the 12 shirt as things stand. It's, it's a great position to be in. And... I, I could say Ross Byrne didn't really impress me. I thought he ran the game okay, but he doesn't offer the threat that other outhalves do, especially with Ireland's game plan. But then at the same time, he is steady, and maybe there is just something there for for having that, especially with all the flux that Ireland have had at tens. But David, who who'd be your two? It feels like anyone that is obvious or standout has kind of been mentioned. So where would you go? Yeah, standout wise, I mean, I don't do it. I'll the thing that everyone else said to start off for Endergast. I thought it was excellent. Um, one of the things that really impressed me about him is he's, he's relatively new to the test rugby. He doesn't even have, he even has that many gaps for, for Connacht. He's still a very young man. But in the first half, uh, he was tackled inside of Ireland's 22 and he got stripped with the ball and he got the ball turned over and It'd be very easy to, to after something like that to go into your shell. But two or three phases later, I think it was Josh Anderfleer and Peter Romani chop tackle the English ball carrier and the man over the ball getting the penalty to get the ball back is Liam Prendergast. So he made sure that he makes one mistake and then he goes out and, and rectifies it. So I thought I thought he definitely showed us. Like a lot of the mold of Jack Crowley, he, he is not overall by test level. He is more than comfortable at that level. The other man I thought did quite well off the bench for him was Joe McCarthy. Um, now obviously I like Joe because he's a Lancer man but a couple of weeks ago I would have had Treadwell ahead of him based on experience and based on impact sub-wise but um, I mean McCarthy just offers this next level of he's huge I've met him once actually he's, he's a massive man which is funny because he's very young so he's still a very young face but he's he's a very very tall very wide huge human being um, his one point of weakness up until recently was that he gave a lot of penalties He's over-enthusiastic at Rooks, but he's massive in that up both in the Italy game and this weekend. To see him cut through the middle of malls and uh, just break them apart and somehow went the ball, there was a there was a point where he turned the ball over uh, up on the right-hand side. It's nice to see an actual genuine turnover rather than just a turnover penalty, but somehow he popped up out of the Rook with the ball in his hands and chucked it back to someone on the other side. So I thought, I thought... He's definitely put his hand up, and I'd be very surprised if, if both himself and Prendergast aren't on the plane. We'll move into the the closing stretch now because it's 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 becoming very close that this this World Cup will come. The final Summer Nation Series games take place next weekend. England host Fiji. Ireland are playing in Beyond against Samoa. Bit of a logistical reason for that one, even though Ireland are, I believe, the home side. So Ed, I'll start with you, England. Taking on Fiji, 
I assume from a, from a spectator's point of view, you want to see something a bit more expansive, but I suppose a win would be nice too. A, a win would be lovely. And to be fair, they're playing Fiji, so there'll be enough expansive rugby on one side of the pitch. Um, so that's fine. I mean, I watched the France-Fiji game as well, and that was mildly terrifying. I mean, if I was Welsh, I'd be really scared because Fiji, with another couple of weeks behind them in terms of a training camp, oh my God. Um, but... Yeah, it's difficult to judge again because the Fiji, you know what they're going to do. They're going to turn up. They're going to absolutely run riot, um, but they're going to give lots of penalties away um, and their set piece is not great. So England, you would think on the basis that you fancy their set piece probably will just be a case of, look, let's win the game. Above all else, let's just win the game. Let's get a bit of confidence uh, ahead of Argentina uh and away we go i i am actually really interested to see the Ireland samoa game really just because i think you, obviously you would expect Ireland are going to go out with a probably a um a slightly weaker team than you would ex- you would say see against england but does samoa go with a full fully loaded side um because that could be really interesting because that's obviously england's fixture in the in the last group game um a lot of people are now saying that that's a real big banana skin when probably five six weeks ago no one was even saying that so um that's actually i'll probably be more focused on the samoa island game than i will be on the england fiji game to be honest yeah, in its own way um <laughs> david as i said ireland in beyond taking on samoa there is the question marks as we record about well dan sheehan dave kirkcoin and jack conan have been left at home ronan keller is a doubt obviously giant sexton serving the last week of his band so he's unavailable as well so I suppose, what's your expectations for the game? And kind of what sort of team would you like to see? Probably, would you go chop and change? Would you go fairly strong? Or how would you go? Um, I think it might be a, be a mix of the two. Um, weirdly, I'd actually quite like to see, I'd like to see a very strong team uh, with Jack Crowley um, at the back of it. Um, I thought Jack played very well against Italy. Um, but the team he was playing around, as good as they played, weren't you know, with the starting team for Ireland. So I'd like to see him with, you know, our starting back in front of him and with Aki and, and Ring Rose behind him. Uh, I don't expect that to happen, though. I, I, I have a suspicion that we're going to go for pretty full bore, um, it, even just to shake off the last of the rust. But I would be curious to see. There's a couple of final calls to be made. Um, I think the prevailing wisdom at this point is that we're going to end up going with a 19-14 split uh, between forwards and backs. So I think the last question is to be answered. I think the one that we can't really answer at the moment is the hooker situation. Um, not knowing the full extent of Dan Sheen's injury and to be honest, not knowing the full extent of Kelleher's either. The talk is that he won't be ready for Samoa, but he will be ready for the start of the World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see if he's able to to actually um, to come into the World Cup fully fit and, and stay fully fit for the duration. Uh, if not, it might be time to, to try out Stuart and maybe even Dermot Barron. But the the ones I'd be interested to see would be uh, Jeremy Lockman now has a sort of an unexpected opportunity with Dave Phil going temporarily sidelined, still in the squad, but temporarily sidelined to really say, hey, look, I can do this job as well. So I, I'd be interested to see if Lockman gets a shot there. And then in the backs, I think there's three guys left who have a chance to make the plane, but are in very real danger of not making it. And that are another Stockdale, McCloskey and Frawley. Um, of the three of them, I think... The best with the one with the best shot in there is probably McCluskey. Um, I think Frawley suffers from the fact that, uh, as much as I like them, there's nothing he can do that Jack Crowley can't also do. 
Um, so if you're bringing a utility back, you don't really need Karen Farley when Jack Crowley can also play 12 and 15. And Jacob Stockdale just has not had enough time inside. He didn't play badly against Italy, but um, if he was realistically going to be on that plane, I would have expected him to at least feature off the bench against England. So, um, yeah, I'll be curious to see if... I, I would imagine um, Farrell will, will possibly try to work those guys in. Um, but I would say other than that, we're going to go, we're going to go pretty strong. Well, Stephen, I'll, I'll finish things off with yourself. I was going to touch on the Ireland squad with you anyway. Um, what way you lean with some of the big calls? Obviously, David has mentioned the likes of Kier Foy, Jacob Stockdale, Trevor Kluski. The 1914 versus 1815 split is also one, but it's the Hoper situation. So, what way are you going now as things stand? And obviously, come Thursday when the Ireland team for the small game is named, it may paint an even clearer picture. Yeah, I think 1914 is the way to go because I think we are lucky to have a lot of players who can play a lot of positions and not just play them, but play them well. Um, I just looked up Prendergast there to many caps he had, David, because you asked, and he's 47 caps. But then I saw that he was born in the year 2000 and then nearly got sick. Um, so that that didn't that didn't feel good. Um, so I th- I, th- I do think Prendergast makes the plan. Uh, I do. I think Farrell has sort of showed his hand a little bit that he likes him. And we know now throughout the years, if Farrell likes you, then he will he will hold on to you or he'll at least uh, keep you in his considerations. Uh, I agree that I don't think Stockdale goes. Um, just doesn't offer anything really different than what our, a lot of our wingers do. And as David said, hasn't really featured enough um, to really make that call. Uh, I think McCluskey misses out just because I don't think you need to bring, I don't think you need to bring him um, I think Bundy is your is your twelve, um, or Henshaw if you want to go down that route, and then Ringrose is your thirteen. Farrell really likes Frawley. I think that's that's pretty clear now. I think again can kind of play a few positions. I really like Jimmy O'Brien. I think Jimmy O'Brien's really really good. Uh, I think he's a bit like a bit of a Hugo Keenan where he's just not gonna let you down. Um, it's really tough. The, and Keith Earls, I, it's <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit of a headache. Uh, I'm trying to work out as well who who can I actually bring and leave out. But I think I think the main ones to leave out. I think Stock I think Stockdale and McCluskey. Unfortunately, Ulster fans are not going to be happy with me. But there, I think they will miss out. And if I was being hot takey, maybe Ross Byrne doesn't go for the crack because uh, I think the question is when would Ross Byrne play if you if you brought him Tonga and Scotland. Tonga Ross. and off the bench against South Africa and then maybe Scotland, depending on Sexton. But if Sexton's... Uh, have we seen Sexton not actually play when he's available and fit? Uh, I suppose he's technically fit for some URC games that he never plays. Yes, but <laughs> I'm saying when it comes to... When it comes to the, I think Sexton's going to play more than we hope he plays. In I, think those Sexton, I think Sexton will play as much as he can. Yes. Um, I think there's the balance to that is, well, he played through the Six Nations and he got through them fairly unscathed. I think the balance to that is that he's 37 years old and he missed most of Leinster season because of injury, um, which is actually probably why Ross Brenner didn't see because Ross was, Ross really had to settle. So I really hope Johnny makes all the way to the quarterfinals because I don't know if we're making it through them without him. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I, know. I, yeah, I, I agree. I think I like Ross. I think he's underrated, but I think. I just wonder, like, do you bring someone who might play an accumulative 20, 30 minutes across group games and then he won't play 
any of the last games if Sexton stays healthy. But then if Sexton doesn't stay healthy, you can bring Ross Byrne out. It's kind of like, do you, do you want to waste one of those? Not waste is a bad word. Do you do you pick Ross Byrne as a spot in the back and then leave someone like Jimmy O'Brien or Stockdale at home? Is is the question when if Sexton does pick up a knock, which that's not going what he doesn't do that, but then you can bring out a Ross Byrne afterwards. I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting talking point. I don't know what the right answer is. I'm sure more than likely Ross Byrne goes, but. You know, for your podcast, Caelan, I said I'd throw a little, you know, grenade in there for you. As, as an it, English fan, as an English fan, I just say I am just sitting here, just incredibly jealous of all the names you just mentioned <laughs> <laughs> and all the options uh, you guys have got. Um, but, Sorry, uh, yeah. apologies. That's all right. No, no, no. As I said, we're, as I said, we're going to get to the semi-finals, but you know, that's true. <laughs> we might, as we're number that's, one. Uh... Yeah. But that's Stephen. Thank you. That's a brilliant way to end the podcast. The Leicester fans already don't like me. Well. They definitely don't know. They can they can blame the comic fan though this time. But thanks very much, lads, this evening for joining me. It's been brilliant. And thanks to Ed, to Stephen, and to David. Um, great. It's been great fun. It's 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 run on a bit of time, but it's it's been great fun recording. And here on my channel, as always, we we have the pre-tournament previews. This week we'll be looking at the Pacific Island nations of Fiji, Tonga, and Samoa, as well as the run through some of the tier two nations like Georgia, Romania. Um, Namibia and I can't remember the last one so we will have we'll also have further coverage of Ireland's final game against um against Samoa on Sunday or on Saturday but we'll have that out to you by Sunday or Monday but as always thanks at home to everyone for listening thanks to the lads for joining and you can find the links to the lads um, pages down below as well as my own like subscribe do as you please the lads have great content and I hope I do too So until next time, folks, take it easy. Cheers.